HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, Visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway. It's a hot one today here in Brooklyn, but maybe some of you are looking ahead for your um, summer vacation plans. I I wish I was doing more traveling this summer, but um, fortunately, I have a book that is helping me vicariously travel. And its author is here joining us from across the pond. It's Mina Holland. How are you? I'm very well. Delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, you can probably tell where Mina is from, from that <laughs> little <laughs> intro. Um, Mina is the editor of The Guardian Cook in the UK. And her new book... Her first book, it's a travel food narrative journey called World on a Plate, 40 Cuisines, 100 Recipes, and the Stories Behind Them. Really unique book. I really enjoy it. Thank Congrats. You. Thank you so much. So this book made me really jealous because you seem to know everything about food everywhere. <laughs> and I want to know how you did that. <laughs> well, actually, I would say that... Um, I, I, I don't have that, that depth of knowledge mm-hmm. that my approach to it was really as a journalist and as a generalist. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to discover a lot about these cuisines and take my readers on that journey with me. Um, so there's sort of a sense, I think, as you read it, that I'm unfurling all this information. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and readers are my companions in that. Um, but in terms of the research, I mean, I, I suppose I'd, I'd done a lot of traveling when I was a student and uh, in, in my 20s, I just turned 30, but um, in my 20s. Um, and and the, the book came about because I'd, I'd changed career. Okay. I'd worked in advertising and I decided I didn't like that. I wanted to be a food writer. And I started doing that. And I remember looking at my bookshelves in my living room and thinking... Books can kind of be uh, divided into two categories here. There's the books that have been written by celebrity chefs, and that's very much championing their unique 
individual style right. of cuisine. And then there are books that are about one geographical place that are right. specific to an area. So Ottolenghi's Jerusalem would be one example there. Um, also Paula Wolfert's The Food of Morocco. Right. You know, lots of books in that vein. And I just thought to myself, there's no book that covers lots of different places mm -hmm. all in one place lots of territories lots of cuisines in one book you're so right and i just wanted to create something that multitasked mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and, and 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 this is the result it's really like a, a, a culinary travel guide it is a good <laughs> read and um there's something about like the commitment of picking up one of those books about just morocco or mm -hmm. um I love books like that, but if I were to carry them around with me to the beach, that would be a bit of a right. struggle. Right, and they're uh, very led by photography as well, aren't they? Right, right. Um, they're beautiful tomes to have at home and to cook from, but I wanted this to be something that you could cook from, but also, you know, shove in your handbag and take away. Um, and in that sense, I think it's also become a recipe book that's quite old-fashioned. You know, mm -hmm. it's in that same style as... Elizabeth David and MFK Fisher and Jane Gregson because it doesn't have photography. Absolutely. It's, it's illustrated. It's a piece of food writing with, with recipes woven in. And I love how each culture that you cover and you go throughout the globe, um, each one has like just enough, um, maybe like 2,000 words or so. Um, about that, about yeah. that, yeah. To give you a good taste of that culture. Um, and not just like dry encyclopedia stuff, but really fun stuff um, from your point of view. And um, it, it'll make me maybe want to buy a cookbook about Vietnam next or something like that. Right. So. It's an entry point. It's a starting yeah. point. That's the idea. Exactly. So you didn't get to travel to do this book to each place? And I traveled to most. Some of them okay. weren't so practical. I didn't go to Iran, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I did. I did do quite a lot of traveling for it. Yes, I did. And uh, those places that I didn't go to, I was um, I was able to access an expert or a few experts. Sure. Uh, based in London. I'm in London, which is now becoming um, a very... Very vibrant food center and mm -hmm. um, yeah I had access to some great chefs um, who were doing um, brilliant work and mm -hmm. who were experts on those those cuisines in and you sprinkle it with like anecdotes and quotes from older writers like you begin with uh, uh, Laurie Colwyn oh yes yeah. Laurie Colwyn of home cooking mm -hmm. and um, and then there's a what Escoffier quote saying um, if if Italians were to codify cuisine then It, we would all be talking about Italian cuisine, but the French were. Mm -hmm. um, really, he and uh, some mm -hmm. of his colleagues were responsible for that. So I was curious, um, is that why we begin this journey in the book in France? Well, I, I guess... Apart from the UK chapter, which actually wasn't included in the in the British edition of the book, um, France is the closest country oh, okay. to, to obviously where I'm from. And so there's a sense of us setting off together. Right. But yes, beyond that, um, I think I think pretty much any any chef's training is is grounded. Yes. Any, I guess any Western chef's training is is grounded in the French tradition, mm -hmm. and it seemed from that perspective a very appropriate starting point as well, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and as we go throughout the world, um, through Asia, the Middle East, and um, Africa, um, I, got, I almost got the sense that maybe, you know, the, the landscape is changing a bit, because um, do you see that um, maybe... Maybe not all chefs are starting out with a foundation in French cuisine as they did necessarily to be a chef maybe two decades ago or even? Perhaps not. I yeah. mean, I think judging by how things are at home, and I would imagine it's not dissimilar here, you know, if you, if you decide to do culinary training, then mm -hmm. you are likely to, to learn the basics, like how to make a room. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but whether those 
whether those are just sort of rites of passage and tick boxes that then enable you, or you know, a platform that enable you to then go off and do your own thing, mm-hmm. um, or not. I don't. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think. I think. That, you know, uh, there is there is a very common departure now right. from the French tradition in 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 cuisine. Certainly, Western they cuisine. have um, established so many uh, kind of rituals and standards around restaurant fare. So that, mm-hmm. that seems like a absolutely uh, yeah. Um, good place to start. So I was really intrigued by you mentioned that you've heard mumblings of the three great cuisines of the world, quote unquote, um, being unofficially French, Chinese, and Turkish. Tell yep. me a little bit about that, or um, um, it sounds like a very interesting point of view, and um, it is from the last Chinese chef um, by Nicole Moniz, who justified China's position. This is the in- your introduction to the China section. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a perspective with which I would necessarily agree myself, uh-huh. I have to say. Um, as a Brit, uh, I don't think... <laughs> You're like, where's the UK? Well, no, I, I, okay. I think we can excuse that the UK is not included in that trio, actually, no. But I think uh, to neglect to include India in that, because, um, oh, you know, yeah. our, our national dish is as much curry as it is fish and chips and roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that was an oversight. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah, I, I, I was also really intrigued and I got the sense throughout reading this book that it seems like the poorest places are, are the places with a large population of, of poor people or peasants mm-hmm. um, ha- tend to cultivate some of the tastiest cuisine. I think that's absolutely true, and I think there's a there's a real um, that sort of quote unquote peasant cuisine is very on vogue now, isn't it? Mm. Um, I think because often the recipes that come from those sorts of traditions are um, are very simple, mm-hmm. have fewer ingredients, and um, really let the ingredients and the produce speak. Right. Um, I'm sure that's got a lot to do with it. But the other wonderful thing about about um, about recipes coming from the sorts of traditions that I think you were hinting at is that they are passed down orally so often. Yes. So there's huge variation in, in the quality. They evolve over time. Absol- yeah, absolutely. Um, They're based so, on terroir, which are, you know, things that yeah. are, are so important nowadays. Well, they're always been important. But, you know, it's a little different than saying taking the most prime cut of meat and just mm-hmm. grilling it. There's something like uh, kind of like trying to pull or milk the most possible flavor about, out of humble ingredients that mm-hmm. seems to create some of the greatest uh, food uh, legacies. Absolutely. Um, what is your favorite region, if you do have one? If I was to pick a cuisine... And you to, get to go there like For the rest of my week. life. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's a cheats answer because... I would say Italy, but I covered five different regions in the Italian section of this book mm. um, because they're all so distinct from one another. You, you can't really... Uh, you can't really label them all of the, the same one tradition, but I, I would I would cheat and I'd say Italy because you get that huge variation. You know, you've got the kind of the polenta and all the 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 Slavic influences in the north. You've got the spice in the south. You've got pasta across the board uh-huh. um, and really Zotto. really vibrant uh, fresh produce um, mm-hmm. that I just think uh, eclipses all other nations. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good pick. Um, I was learning a lot about these different regions and how different they are, too. You cover Veneto, or Venice, mm. um, Sicily, Calabria, Emilia-Romagna, and what else? Is and Lazio, which is, which is the region in which Rome sits. 
Lazio. Uh, yeah. So, okay, got it. And um, why are there so many? Why are they so distinct in throughout this small, relatively small country? Why do you think? I mean. We've all probably met an Italian. That there's a real sense of um, of of ownership, Mm, of pride, um, and and pride. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Local pride in 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 cuisine, in 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 local cuisines. Um, But I think that extends not just uh, extends from the region itself and into the home. Mm -hmm. Everyone everyone has their own kind of little micro cuisine at at home. It would seem. You know, everyone's grandmother has makes the best. Right. Right. You know particular pasta dish i would say you know there's just it's it is a tiny country but um it it it, it spans um mediterranean it spans yeah exactly it spans from kind of the middle of europe down the mediterranean and the climate varies enormously mm, um, that's true and so the the quality of produce um it, it, it varies hugely but it's also incredibly high Mm. Mm-hmm. Good stuff down there, yeah. and olives, and all this, all the good stuff we can't grow in New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's your favorite. Um, do you have any upcoming trips where you're trying to, I don't know, learn a little bit more about a different region? Yeah. So, if anyone's yeah. got any suggestions, you're in I America would love, right now. I'm in America right now. I'm heading to Seattle tomorrow. Okay. Uh, and then to San Francisco. You cover L- Louisiana. But not not New York. <laughs> no, not New York. I covered um, I covered California because I think, you know, I'm sure you'd agree. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very established um, and celebrated uh, culinary tradition there. Right. Um, and it's also somewhere that I've spent quite a lot of time. I was at school at Cal um, yes. for a year. Um, and then I wanted to I wanted to sort of bridge the United States with the rest of the Americas. Yes. And also I grew up my father's a huge blues fan, so I grew up in a in a house where um where, you know, Louisiana felt like a very sort of it felt like a presence even if I've never, you know, actually visited myself. Oh, um wow. so that that felt like um an appropriate second place to choose from the from the States. Food. Um but yeah, no. In terms of other other trips that I'm um, I'm planning, I'm going to I'm going to France actually in the summer. I'm driving to France and uh, heading to Burgundy in the Jura. <sighs> driving so, to France, yeah. <laughs> oh, if only. Um, I love I love that you're not an American writing this because you have the fresh take on uh, mm-hmm. the New World section mm-hmm. um, that I didn't. You know, it, it's it's easy to um, kind of lose track of, but you write. In your introduction to North and South America, you call it the melting pots, mm-hmm. and um, and you start out with Europe's discovery of the Americas, and then you know all the different uh, migrations from West Africa, mm-hmm. um, from Europe, and from Asia. Mm-hmm. And there's like this cool map of, <laughs> I think there's sushi in this photo of like noodles going this way, sausages coming from there. <laughs> so yeah. um, that's a really fresh take. So I really appreciate that. Well, I think you know America has this palette of ingredients and flavors. And, and cooking techniques from which, you know, it, well, the individual cook can cherry pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that produces incredibly inspiring dishes. And I think actually it really epitomizes how, in my mind, um, what Californian cuisine has burgeoned oh, from. Um, but I think what's, what's also been a very interesting part of this process for me is that I, I started out trying to kind of uncover what was, quote unquote, the authentic cuisine of each of those places that I, that I oh, wrote about. Right. Um, 
But what, what it's enabled me to do is introduced me to a huge number of, of ingredients and flavors and techniques. Um, and it's, it's given me a new sort of set of apparatus and, uh-huh. and skills in the kitchen that have helped me to sort of hone my own unique culinary style. Oh, awesome. So I, don't, I wouldn't say I cook from any one of those cuisines. Mm-hmm. Um, but a melting yeah 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 exa- absolutely right. absolutely so Very I've got my cool. own palette from, mm-hmm. from, from writing the book awesome um, well we're gonna take a quick little commercial interlude and we'll be back chatting right uh, chatting much more about this book Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. Hey, you're back listening to Eat Your Words with Mina Holland, our guest. She's just written The World on a Plate, a wonderful cook. Uh, well, it's a narrative book um, with recipes, a lot of recipes, too. But what do you call this genre? Um, travel? I mean, I guess, not yeah, quite travel. It's a, it's a hybrid, isn't it? It's yeah. Sort of, um, it's, is it food literature? Food, food, no, food. Nar- yeah. Narrative? Well, it's yeah. not fiction. Let's... <laughs> I, this is why I wrote it because it didn't exist before. But actually, no, it did. I mean, the, the, I think this style did, as, as I said earlier. I think it's very much emulating those mm-hmm. old school food right. writers. Yeah, in, in the in the sense that it's it's without pictures. There's some illustrations in there, but it's um, lots of people stories behind yes. cuisines. Right. And, you know, food's about people, right? That's that's um, it's for people and it's made by people and it's all it's all linked to 
to stories. And then there are there are recipes that are sort of woven throughout it. Definitely. Um, I love all the anecdotes reading throughout it. And um, tell me um, tell me a little bit more about uh, one of my favorite sounding dishes, bubbles and wait, bubble bubbles. and squeak. Bubble and squeak. So this is your this is your turf. Um, we're in the UK section, which is in the American edition. Um, uh, and uh, what, what exactly? Bubbler's Squeak is, is a hash. Deal? Okay. It's a hash. It's leftovers, basically. But um, and right. it's called Bubble okay. and Squeak in the UK because of the sound it makes when it's cooking. It, you know, it's sort of oh, um, yeah, it's bu- yeah, bubbling and squeaking away on the hob. Um, <laughs> um, but yes, to you guys, it would be a hash and. The brilliant thing about this recipe is it's not really a recipe. I mean, to the, and in that sense, it's sort of um, I love recipes ironic, like that. Actually, yeah, me too. I mean, that's the way I cook. I very, mm-hmm. I very rarely cook from recipe books. Now, I'll, I'll look at a recipe book for inspiration, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll rarely follow a recipe to the letter. So this is this this recipe, quote unquote, is um, it's an idea, and it's something with which you can um, use your leftovers. I love how it says potatoes and then cabbage, carrots, peas, or sprouts, or whatever Just you have. Whatever it's, I guess traditionally it would be made um, after a roast lunch, mm-hmm. after a roast dinner. Mm-hmm. So all the, the potatoes all those veg, left over, yeah, exactly. Kind of reminds me of fried rice growing up uh, with my mother's uh, kind of whatever <laughs> leftover dish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're we're actually having right now um, some lovely. Pizza it's from one of the Roberta's best pizza ever. Oh well, do they have um has like has pizza taken over like a craze in London? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay, pizza's big in London. So you guys are the big thing at the moment in London is um Middle Eastern food, which no kidding. Um, I'm sure. I mean, I, I know is a, a burgeoning thing here. I went to a restaurant in Brooklyn last night called Glassery. Oh yes, yes. Oh yes. All those kind of small plates. And yeah, sort of Israeli inspired. Yeah, sharing. Mm. Very yeah. cool. Um, all right. So I guess I was going to ask, um, what do you think are like the most up and coming worldly cuisines um, in the world of? So you think the Middle East and what specifically? Like which which countries would that draw from in what you've so seen? Israel, but I mean Israel also draws on um, the the surrounding area in the middle mm-hmm. of the Levant. So you know mm-hmm. um, Lebanon and Syria, Jordanian food to an extent. Um, Iraqi and, and Persian, um, yeah, it's it's sort of it's ingredients that um, are like um, yogurt and fermented yogurt, which is mm. called quiche, um, tahini, um, very popular. Yeah, exactly. And the spices are very distinct. Um, when you taste it, it's just like it's it's something different than any any other combinations like those um what do you call it zatar and so forth yeah that's a very spice blend yeah that that combined with the sesame paste the tahini and Mm -hmm. um, really good olive oil yes it's it's very distinctive indeed yeah cool definitely um so what about bread and butter pudding that's another homey classic um i love that the uk section is filled with very homey classics the other one is cottage pie yeah which is a i guess a sheep what do we call it a shepherd's pie shepherd's or? pie would be would be with lamb um oh. cottage pie can be with beef mince so i mean it's it's all variations on the same idea mm-hmm. i mean I, the, the reason i picked those three recipes for the uk section um and to recap, they are cottage pie, bread and butter pudding, which you guys would probably know as a bread pudding. Bread pudding, yeah. Uh, and bubble and squeak is because they really hark back to the British culinary heritage. Yeah. Um, which I think 
we sort of lost our way with for a while. You know, Britain fundamentally is a cold it's a it's a cold climate. We are mm-hmm. a cold climate cuisine. Um, ingredients like root vegetables um, are what thrive in the UK, um, but for the last few decades, or probably until the last 10 years, mm-hmm. um, we were just so fixated on food like this, this lovely pizza and, and pasta, basically the, the, the tomatoes the and dishes yeah. of, the, of the Mediterranean. Okay. And we were really encouraged to do that by, by authors like Elizabeth David, um, who gave her readers guidance on where to find um, ingredients from far-flung mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm places like you know olive oil and sun-dried tomatoes she told us where to go and find them in the 1960s in london right her book the mediterranean food is just such a classic it is. and i bet everyone was like blown away exactly yeah. but we, we we sort of fell so in love with with those dishes and those cuisines yeah. that i think we sort of fell out of love with our own mm-hmm. um and i what, what we're seeing happening in the uk now and i think it's also helped and bolstered by what's happening in places like denmark where again that's true um, yeah they're embracing, embracing you know the what kind of, what the land provides them with in terms of and in fantastic ways too exactly yeah. um so we're, we're just sort of seeing ourselves reclaim it a bit yeah um and so that was the idea with introducing my American readers to the last Well, I feel like this is great because um, I haven't seen, you know, as an American, I haven't seen enough celebration and, and talk about these dishes. And I'm just curious about um, if there's anything else that you, you felt like um, you didn't make the cut. But uh, what else is like a kind of um, quintessential traditional um, English dish? Fish and chips. Oh right! Yeah, obviously you got your fish and <laughs> I knew chips that. with pickled eggs and pickled onions and tartar sauce. Um, I didn't include a roast dinner because I assumed that you know most people are are schooled in well, yeah, cooking a roast joint dinner. Yeah, that's such a that's such a classic though. It is a classic, but I mean you have your your own answer to it here, don't you? With you guys, you guys rule with the roast dinners at Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it Thanksgiving? Yeah, it's a big deal. But I suppose our you know our very typical. Um, would, uh, one would be roast beef and Yorkshire pudding, which is like a kind of risen, savoury batter. That is good. And that um, collects the drippings, right, from the with, roast? From the gravy, yeah. Yeah, yeah with bread sauce and, mm. um, and yeah, good mustard. Yeah. I, I noticed that in um, a lot of UK dishes, there's like a savoury and sweet element. So there's pudding, it could be savoury or sweet. There's pies and there's, um, what else is there? But... Uh, I don't know, but uh, yeah, we have savory of, and sweet takes on all of those. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Similar format, but either it's for dinner or it's for a dessert. But bread and butter pudding is definitely a sweet dish. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Bread yeah. and butter. Well, you can have a savory bread pudding, right? You you can, but I that's not necessarily very traditional for us. Um, that's more of a. Oh, is that an American thing? An American thing, I think. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So we're in. Turkey right now, and um, I love hearing. I love reading the history of it mm-hmm. um, and how, like how how much um, kind of like flavors went into creating each culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious uh, why uh, Turkey was one of those great cuisines, and <laughs> but I, I've never been there. The food sounds wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, is it one of your favorites as well? Yeah, I love Turkish food. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very interesting place because it sits on the cusp of Europe and Asia. Yeah. So again, it's another place where there's uh, there's been a lot of um, migration. Mm-hmm. Um, it's somewhere that the when when 
uh, traders would pass through on the spice route. So it sort of absorbed um, uh, lots of culinary influences from both east and west. It really is very unique. Yeah, yeah. So what I haven't mentioned is um, for each cuisine, I've included a larder list. So mm-hmm. not only have you got, you know, a bit of background, sort of 2,000 words of story on each cuisine and two to three typical recipes, um, but you've got a, a list of ingredients that are or flavours that are very um, typical of that and place. That, that'll help you kind of, like, I, I don't know, when I read it, I, like, imagine the dish, what would might like, uh, what might be made with it. So for turkey, for instance, it's pomegranate molasses, red pepper paste, yogurt, cumin, sumac, red pepper flakes, um, parsley, dill, mint, pistachios. I mean, this is, this is like very, very colorful stuff and it really helps you imagine that Absolutely. cuisine. And it gives you a sense of what might go together as well. So if you decide that you want to use those ingredients mm-hmm. at home, then um, hopefully you can kind of have it serves as inspiration for Mm -hmm. how you might be able to combine them there's also a little tidbits throughout about um a kind of like essay on ingredients i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed the one on soybeans that you write Mm -hmm. um in the asia section um soybeans uh of course have been eaten for uh you know millennia um and you just have a little bit of an up-to-date kind of history lesson on how that is um Soybean production has been changing in recent yeah, years, and how it's been and how they've been absorbed into world diets, I suppose as well. And we, so I did corn as well as another mm-hmm. uh, pimenton, salt cod. So um, the the really traditional um, ingredients, ingredients from those places that are, that are now um, still very much a, a living part of the places that they, that they were originally from, but also being absorbed into other cuisines. Yeah, it's so, gaining you know, We really associate salt cod, bacalao, with, with Portugal, but actually it's it, it's native to Scandinavia. Oh. And I think that's sort of kind of underknown. Whoa. Mm. But that makes sense, though, drying it, out the fish. Yeah, it makes sense, but it is just, it's so... Um, epitomizes it's Portuguese just, cuisine for, for, right. for me and I think for many as well. Bacala. Um, well, I didn't know, this is really interesting to me that, um, you know, as much as uh, Asia eats soybeans, most of it nowadays is grown in uh, the United States, mm. Argentina, and Brazil. Mm-hmm. So kind of a changing of the guards here for some, some food in, uh, and gr- ingredients yeah. throughout the world. Absolutely. Um, so I guess that's about all the time we have for today. But do you have an absolute favorite recipe from this book that I... You yes. Wanna, yes. Again, it's hardly a recipe, actually. Okay. Um, let me find the page. Okay. Um, it is Marcella Hazan's three-ingredient pasta sauce. And it changed my life when I discovered it. It is quite simply uh, a white onion, halved, peeled mm-hmm. and halved, put in a pan with a tin of chopped tomatoes, a good wedge of butter, and mm-hmm. put on a low heat for 45 minutes. And then just thrown over pasta with some parmesan and, and seasoning. Oh. And it is just life-changing. For like three minutes? Do you cook the tomatoes and the onion? For 45 minutes. Oh, for 45 on a, minutes. On a, okay. No, no, no. It really needs to slow cook. And okay, got the it. the sweetness of the onion and mm. the creaminess of the butter and obviously the wonderful Ooh. tomatoes, they just come together to form something that is so much bigger than the sum of its parts. And uh, it's on page 93. Oh, awesome. Yeah, you can, I mean, you can wring your hair out just reading how many different tomato sauce recipes there are, but just knowing that little, like, secret... Mm. Um, and uh, like that sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. So, 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all these really thoughtful recipes and the stories about them throughout this book. I can't wait to read all of it, uh, hopefully on some travels this summer. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, enjoy enjoy the rest of the time in America, and we'll see everyone on Heritage next week um, on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.